In a world that's spinning crazy where we can't quite keep up, let's all look a little bit more like love. Let us pray. Father God, as we come here this morning, we come anxious to hear from you. God, we know that you want to teach us, you want to guide us, you want to love us, and Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to the things that you have in store for us this morning. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing unto you. In your name, amen. You live a storied life. Your life is defined by the stories that take you through your day-to-day moments and your decisions. We love stories. We think in stories. If something significant happens, we turn it into a story, and then we turn it over or tell it over and over and over again. Each of us lives a storied life. Facts are great, but we love a good story. If you ask me how I met Mac, my husband, I'll happily tell you, we met through a wedding. He was a groomsman, I was the maid of honor, and we met. And you'll say, oh, isn't that nice, you met at a wedding. But if you ask me for the story of how we met, I'll tell you that within 36 hours of meeting each other, he had decided that I was the most stuck-up snob that he'd ever met, and I thought he was a boring old man who could only talk about politics. Not a great beginning, but a year and a week to the day after we married, we got ma- or after we met, we got married. And we, this year we celebrate 10 years. It's been a great story. Thank you. We love stories. There's a man by the name of James Bryant Smith, and he wrote a book called The Good and Beautiful God. And in it he writes this. We turn everything into a story in order to make sense of life. We dream in narrative, daydream in narrative, remember, anticipate, hope, despair, believe, doubt, plan, revives, criticize, construct, gossip, learn, hate, and love by narrative. We are story creatures. Where our hearts go, our stories will follow. We are, in a lot of ways, what we love. And so it's either our stories are pulling us toward what we want to be, or our stories are defined by how our heart is protecting us and responding to what is happening to us. Where our heart goes, our stories follow. So what story are you living? What plots and themes do you see playing out in your life right now? Perhaps you're living a love story. Everything in your world is focused on having people love you, and so you serve them, and you go to them, and you love them, and you pour yourself into them so that they know that they are loved, and then you feel loved in return because you are living a great love story. Perhaps you're you're living an is-what-it-is story. Your life is yours. It is your own. It's not super exciting. It's not boring. You may not have high mountain peaks of joy, but you also aren't down in the valleys of despair. You don't take a lot of risks, but you also don't have maybe a huge amount of stress. Life just kind of is what it is about. It is. No one's going to buy a book about your life, but your life is what it is. And that's okay. Perhaps you live the perfectionist story. This is a plot line I see playing out in my own life sometimes. 
We want everything to be perfect. We want to have the perfect house, or maybe we want to have the perfect partner, or we want to have the perfect kids, or we want to do perfectly at our jobs, or we need to have the perfect GPA, or, or we need to get the next job promotion, or, or we just we need the whole world to be, know that we are perfect. And so we will hide behind masks of happy faces and perfect lives because we're terrified that if people see below those masks, they'll realize that we don't have it quite together as much as we'd like people to think. We aren't as perfect as we would like to think. And so we stop engaging from the community around us because our story is a story of perfection. Nothing else will do. Some of us are living the defiant story. There's a person in my life right now who this is his storyline and he loves it. He's here by his words for a good time, not a long time, and he's going to live his life on his terms, his way, and he doesn't care what anybody has to say about it. He is living in defiance to the world around him, and he's just moving forward. Some of us are living the, he the hero story. We see where there is brokenness, and we see where there is pain, and we see where there is suffering around, suffering around us, and we feel like it's our job to go in and fix those things. And so we go from here to here trying to rescue the people around us and be a hero because we want to see people living healthy, good lives, and we want to fix everything that's going on, so we live a hero story. There's rags to riches stories. There's times when our stories feel like we are living a comedy of errors. There's times when our story is about newness and new birth. There's times that our stories are tragedies and or they're, they're painful. We each live a story. And a lot of these stories eroded in things that are good and natural desires. Every single one of us needs to know that we are loved. Every single one of us needs to express love to those around us. Every single one of us wants a good home and that we can keep ourselves warm and dry and wear clothes and have food on the table and that have good relationships in our families. Every single one of us, to a certain extent, some more than others, our hearts break when we see people hurting around us. So a lot of these storylines come from very healthy, very good places. The problem is when these stories become the central focus of who we are. The problem is when these subplots become the central focus of our stories, because then they're never enough. We're always looking for the next relationship, the next business deal, the next um, grade on our test, the next whatever it is to feel good, or to feel like we're successful, or feel like we're significant. We're looking for another shot, and when, when that plot line we've been following isn't working, sometimes we look for a different plot line, trying to find significance, trying to find satisfaction in that story. Or we find ourselves hungering for a bigger story, something that's bigger than who we are that we can throw ourselves behind, something, a bigger story that will help us make sense of all the little stories that make up our day-to-day -day lives. And it is in that moment when we can cry to God and he will open our eyes to his story. And it is in that moment that he invites us to join into his story. Jesus storied himself in human flesh. In the most compassionate 
and powerful and profound moment, Jesus entered our stories and turned them upside down. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I'm reading from John chapter 1. And the words will also be up on the screen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is the closest relationship to the, with the Father. He has made him known. When I was doing my research for this morning, I found, something some, I found out something very interesting about the word logos. If you were a Jewish listener at this point in time, first hearing John's letter or reading the book, the word word, logos, would have brought to mind the word of God. It was through the word of God that God created this world. It's through the word of God that God revealed himself to his people, who gave them law, Gave them, he taught them, he loved them, he guided them. It was all through his word. But if you were a Greek listener and you heard the word logos, you would have heard something a little bit different. That word logos means the reason behind the word. And reason was so celebrated in Greek culture that a couple hundred or so years before this was written, Logos had become, to be, had become the personification for the reason for life. Logos was the reason for everything. And so they would have heard the beginning, the beginning sentences of this chapter like this. In the beginning was the reason for life. And the reason for life was with God. And the reason for life was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the, word, or, and the reason for life became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Let me tell you a story. In the beginning was God. He existed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they looked out over everything that would be. And through the will of the Father and the creative energy of the Son and the power of the Spirit, they got to work creating this world. They created the sun, moon, and stars and put them in place and put all the planets out and they molded our earth. I kind of picture them using his hands and like a potter and molding the earth exactly the way that he wanted it. Stretching the mountains high above the surface of the planet. Digging down the ditches or digging into the valleys and the trenches and the deep oceans. When the clay was set, 
He filled the oceans with salt water and put fresh water into the rivers and lakes and streams. On the banks of the rivers and lakes, he painted sand and then grass in every color of green you can imagine. He planted forests with mighty redwood trees and, and maples and pine trees. And in the open fields, he planted wildflowers of yellow and purple and blue and pink and red. And when the flora and fauna were set, he filled the earth with animal life. The song of the whale started echoing through the deep of the ocean as it swam amongst the fish. Frogs hopped out of the water up onto dry land and hung out. Birds flew through the air. There was little tiny mice scurrying around, frightening uh, elephants and probably laughing about it. God stretched the neck of the giraffe so it could reach the fruit at the top of the trees and the, the leaves up there. God created a wildlife playground, and he looked out at everything that he had created, and he said, this is good, but I'm not finished. We're not finished. So he started to create humanity. And knowing all that was to come and all that would be, he set about making each one of us unique. Some of us he made tall and others he made short. Some of us he gave light skin and others he gave darker skin. Some of us he gave brown hair or blonde hair or red hair or white hair. Some of us have blue eyes or brown or green. Some of us he gave freckles. He made each one of us unique. He made some to be artists and musicians that would bring out the beauty of the planet and of humanity. To others he gave the ability to work with numbers and angles, and, and all those things that I'm not wired for. Some people are great at building buildings and towers that stand up and bridges that take us across the waters. Each one of us was made unique, and we were made with a purpose to spend our lives in relationship with God and with each other. We were the only thing on this entire planet that was created in the image of God. And that means as we look at God, we recognize who we are in him because there's parts of who he is in us. We reflect him. And as we look at the people around us, we see God reflected back at us from the other humans that are around us because they also carry the image of God. I love the first few pages of the book of Genesis. In chapter 2, in the beginning of chapter three, is God interacts with Adam and Eve. It's an easy relationship. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in that garden with them and ask God, the creator of heaven and earth, how his world worked? Can you imagine what it would have been like to learn how to love from the person who is love? It would have been amazing. And what do we do with this gift? We chose the defiant story. We said, God, I got this. I'm going to live my life on my terms. I want to learn for myself. I don't need you. And the legacy of humanity ever since has been murder and lies, betrayal, oppression, pain, suffering, so far away from what God ever intended. But thankfully, the story of God with his people didn't end when we made that decision. 
The pages of the Old Testament and the New are full of stories of God pursuing his people. He came to Adam and he, or Abraham and said, I will make you the father of a great nation. I am with you. Are you with me? He went to Moses and he said, I have heard the cries of my people in bondage in Egypt. I am going to free them. I am with you. Are you with me? Through Moses, we gave the law to his people, and he said, this is what you need to do to be in relationship with me. This is how you can live so that you can be in relationship with the holy God. I am with you. Are you with me? He went to David, the youngest son of a shepherd. He was the eighth child. He said, I will make you a king. Are you with me? I'm with you. Are you with me? Through the prophets, God continually cried out to his people and said, I want to be in relationship with you. I will restore you. I will redeem you. I am with you. Are you with me? And throughout the generations, people have made their choices. So often when God has spoken, humanity has said, did you hear something? I I don't recognize that voice. Even though his thumbprint is on us. But some, throughout the pages of scripture, we have the stories of people who are faithful to God, and that faithfulness continues through today. And when the time was right, when history was ripe, the creator of heaven and earth, the all-powerful, all-knowing, unlimited, holy God, the author of love, became flesh and lived with us. Jesus storied himself in human flesh. Sometimes we get so focused on that little baby in December at Christmas time and the stories that we lose sight of how amazing this is. God chose to leave his throne on high and come and live the human life. He fell, he cut his knee, he might have broken an arm at some point in time. He experienced all that it is to be human. He was tempted, he felt pain, he felt stress, he felt joy. He experienced as a human everything that we experience, not because he didn't understand what we go through, but because we need to understand who God is in the midst of those things. When Jesus came to earth in human flesh, he was the perfect representation of the image of God because he was God in human flesh. He showed us not only who God was, and he not only invited us into relationship with God and made that possible, but he showed us who we are called to be. He showed us that we are part of and invited into God's grand narrative of him, his story with his people. He invited us to be with him. Towards the end of John chapter 1, starting in verse 37, there's a story of two of John the Baptist's disciples. They were following John the Baptist because they were wanted to find a bigger story. They wanted to find a bigger narrative. And as John the Baptist spoke about the Messiah who was to come, and as he pointed to Jesus, they said, we want that. And they soaked in everything he had to say. And then one day, John looks up, and there's Jesus. And he said, there he is. 
That is the one I've been speaking about. That is the Messiah come. And the disciples who had been following John left John and they started following Jesus. And Jesus looked behind him and he saw these two men behind him and he said, what do you want? What are you looking for? Their response is very interesting. They say, well, where are you staying? Were they looking for free room and board? Jesus' response back was, come and you will see. These disciples realized and desired a bigger, they needed a bigger story than themselves. They wanted to join their story with God's story, and the only way they knew how to do that was to follow the Messiah, to follow Christ, and to learn to live as Jesus lived, to love as Jesus loved, to know God as Jesus loves God. And so they needed to be with him. If you want to change your story, there's no better way than to spend time with the author of life and of love. And so they followed. Each day, the same question is posed to us. What are you looking for? What story do you want to live? And when we start to bring our stories and join them with God's story, he redeems our plot lines, and he helps to make sense of them and give them a greater purpose. We still live love stories. But now our love stories are based in who loves us and who is teaching us to love so that we can love the people around us fuller and more deeply, not expecting them to fill some need that they cannot fill themselves, but just loving them freely. Instead of living the is-what-it-is story, we start to live a story of contentment. In Philippians, Paul talks about knowing what it is to be in need and knowing what it is to be in plenty, knowing what it is to be hungry and knowing what it is to be well-fed. What he's talking about is this deep sense of contentment. Whatever is going on in my life, it's okay because God is giving, make, helping me make sense of it as I walk through it. It doesn't make the tragedies and the pain and the suffering that we go through okay, but it gives us the strength and the hope to navigate through them and know that this is not the end of the story. And in the parts of our stories where there is joy and there is celebration, it makes it all the more sweeter because we are celebrating with, with God himself. Instead of trying to be perfectionists and be perfect, we live stories of excellence. The engaged excellent, excellent story. We recognize that God has wired us and gifted us in certain ways, and so where we can, we strive for excellence so that we can bless the world around us through God's gifts that he has given, him, given us, whether it's in teaching, in song, in academics, in fixing things. Whatever it is that God has gifted you to be good at, be excellent. And where you, are, where you are weaker, there is someone else who is stronger who can come alongside and either help you develop or bless you with their gifts. In the excellent story, we celebrate others and we engage with others because we're excited to see excellence shine through with the people around us instead of being focused on whether or not I am shining properly. Instead of trying to be the hero, we become the empowered servant. We look around this world and we see a chaotic, turned upside down world where people are hurting and broken and need that touch. They need love. They need support. 
And instead of feeling like I have to fix everything, like I have to rescue everything, I I recognize, we recognize that God is in the rescuing business. And we partner with what he is doing and we pray for wisdom and guidance of where we can step in the gap, where we can be that support system and trust that the people over here that we can't get to, he has a plan for them and someone else to support them. God redeems the plot lines in our stories. He helps them to make sense. He puts them in the context of a larger story. And it is as we see our stories mixed with his stories that we see a deeper significance and purpose in our lives. Each one of us lives a storied life. What story are you living? Jesus entered our stories in a powerful and profound way so that we may experience grace upon grace already given and be in relationship with him and learn what it means to be human and what it means to walk this planet and be who we have been called to be. And it's our choice what story we're going to live. But he urges you to live your God-storied life, to bring your story into the context of his greater story. The way we do this is by changing our stories. If you've ever made a new, has anyone ever made a news resolution? Some of you? Now, if you're like me, they probably are broken about two weeks in, maybe one week into January. They're kind of over, right? We can't will ourselves to just be different. We need to rest in the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and trust that he is going to change us day by day, moment by moment, if we work with him and we look to bring our stories into context with his. And the way he does that is by helping us to start changing our stories. There are narratives that we believe about ourselves that are not true. There are false stories and outright lying stories that tell us that we're not good enough or that we're not special or, or whatever it is, and they lead us astray. We need to identify those false stories and replace them with true stories. There's also places where the stories we believe about God are not true. They're false stories. Or maybe they're true what we believe, but we need a bigger story of who God is because God is a big God. And so we start this by developing a prayerful conversation with God and looking within and asking him to reveal things about ourselves. I don't know any other way to start getting to know who God is than spending time in this book, spending time in scripture, reading it, asking God to open your eyes to who he is and how he's revealing himself on the pages of scripture so we can start to see him in our everyday lives. And as we do that, he will start to change our stories of him and of ourselves. But we can't do it alone. We also need to interact with the people around us. They see Our loved ones, our friends, our family, they see the false stories that we believe about ourselves, sometimes significantly clearer than we do. And they can help us unravel them and replace them with true stories. And sometimes it takes going to see a gifted counselor to help us work through these false stories and false narratives so we can come to a place of health and understanding. We need to change our narratives. We need to start engaging and practicing soul training exercises. These are everyday activities or spiritual disciplines that help us learn how to respond the way God has called us to respond. 
And so we look for the areas of our lives that need some help, need some bolstering, and we go into training. I read a story on Facebook this week, and I don't remember who posted it, and I don't remember its original author, so forgive me, because I can't give credit there. But this woman felt like she was being completely disconnected from her family and from the people around her because of her phone. She wasn't truly present because she would be listening for the bing. And so she went into a soul training exercise. My words on that part. She set specific times a day when she checked her email and Facebook or anything else that she was checking. It would be at these specific times and no other time. And then when she felt the draw to check her phone, she reached for a bottle of water instead. And she realized that people were okay with her not responding to texts or, phone or emails within five minutes. She also realized that when she was more present with her family at dinner, family dinners went better. She got more done at the office because she wasn't constantly being pulled to these, the, the, the tyranny of technology. And she was more hydrated. Always a good thing. We can find practical, everyday measures that will train us to respond the way that we want to respond to the things that happen in our lives. If we're honest, every single one of us has moments that we say, man, I really wish I hadn't have said that, or at least that I had thought before those words came out of my mouth. I really wish that I hadn't responded that way, or I really, really wish that in that moment I had risen to the occasion and done this. And that's what soul training exercises do. They help us learn how to respond appropriately in God's story. And finally, we need to be participating in community. Your story is not an island. Your story impacts the people around you. And their stories impact you. And so you need, we need to find communities of people who live the way we want to live so that we can be learning from each other and we can be growing from each other. Spiritual growth, growth in general, happens best in community. We need the encouragement, we need the love, we need the correction of the people around us. And so it can mean to be as simple as finding someone to hold you accountable and having coffee with them once a week and allowing them to speak into your lives. Or it means joining a group. At Spring Branch, we have some great groups that you can get connected, whether it's through life groups or faith and life or men's ministry or women's ministry or student ministry. These groups are built to help us grow together and in community, to help us ask questions and find the answers together or at least go on the journey toward an answer together. These groups are designed to help us do life together. We need to be in community. I wonder if, if Jesus kept a diary, what his thoughts would have been as God walking on this planet and seeing us and seeing what our lives were like. I wonder if his journal entry might have been something like this. Father, Abba, I'm here with them. Each day I see people going about their lives and living their stories. Life is hard here, so far from what we intended. I see and feel the pain and suffering of our children experience each day. The pain of hatred and betrayal, 
Anger and jealousy fracture relationships. Greed and envy lead them to do unspeakable things to each other. Pride lurks, whispering in human ears, urging them to think of themselves first and only. The stench of sin, of evil, is so often overwhelming. It breaks my heart to see it, to walk alongside our children as they struggle. But there is goodness, too, in the hope that comes from the first cry of each child and the comfortable joy of companionship. Love and selflessness fight against the gloom brought on by sin. Artists recreate the beauty of your world as they paint, and singers fill halls with songs to glorify you. And there is nothing quite like the smell of freshly baked bread. There is life in the midst of darkness, light overcoming the darkness. Each day I beckon. I'm with you. Are you with me? And each day they answer. Some say no. Some hesitate. But to those who say yes, I pull them closer and closer to you. Our spirit is at work in each one of them, gently teaching and strengthening them, opening their eyes to the reality of life in your kingdom, to the power of joining your story, their stories, to your story. Until tomorrow, Jesus. Each one of us lives a storied life. What story are you living? Jesus entered this planet. He put on human flesh and lived among us. He storied himself in human flesh to show us a God story life. As we go this morning, I encourage you to live your God storied life. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your story of you with your people. God, thank you so much that it didn't end in our defiance but that you pursue us, that you are with us, that you call to us. God, I ask that you would help us to see the false stories and the false narratives that mark our lives, that lead us astray. Lord, may we identify the things that we believe that are just not true. God, teach us the glory of your story, the grace of your story. Teach us to live as you lived, to love as you love, and to be the hands and feet of a world that is hurting and desperately needs you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.